Welcome everybody to episode five of Distilling Greatness. My name is Chris Tatum uh, with the company Distilling. I'm happy to welcome three highly intelligent individuals in their respective fields to the show today. Uh, unfortunately, Jeff is not going to be able to uh, be with us today. I hate it. Um, he's actually out moving his son back to East Tennessee. He's down in, in the University of Alabama, Huntsville, and he's coming home uh, for a few months to, to work at a local industry in his field. So I know Jeff's missing us, but also uh, loving that he's getting his son home for a little while. So anyway, I would like to welcome uh, Kevin Smith. He is uh, my partner and director of brewing and distilling at Company Distilling. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here. Right, glad to have you. I also want to in, invite, or invite, I'm sorry, welcome Aaron McLean, who's the brewmaster here at Crafty Bastard Distillery. Aaron, thanks for coming in. Uh, glad to be here. And super thankful for you allowing us to set up shop and do the show from your place here. We're at, we are at Crafty Bastard Brewery down in East or, um, Knoxville, Tennessee, over... Uh, downtown Knoxville, I believe it's Six Emory Place. Is that correct? Six Emory Place, yeah, just uh, just slightly north of uh, the the old city. Um, yeah. so just a few blocks north. Yeah, yeah, come check us out sometime. Perfect. Uh, and then finally, um, as I indicated, the least he's uh, last and least is <laughs> Tyler Crowell, who's our COO of uh, Corsair uh, Distillery in Nashville, Tennessee. So thanks so much for getting up early and driving in. Hey, hey yeah, glad to be here. I know for a little while, you guys, uh, Corsair, for those that don't know it, and I think everybody here at the table does, they did hold six plus million uh, labels uh, for their spirits. Uh, So glad that you guys spent some time with us today instead of making a different iteration of whiskey. Oh, yeah. Any any day off the the permits online coal site's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Glad to be here. (laughs) No kidding. That's exactly it. I love it. Well, today, guys, as you can probably guess, we're going to talk about beer, uh, and, and some of you are probably going, what the heck, why are we doing that? Well, <clears throat> as you've experienced in the previous four episodes, we've talked about Tennessee whiskey and the history of Tennessee whiskey, as well as, you know, the science behind it. And so, you know, I've got a saying that, and, uh, that whiskey is what beer wants to be when it grows up, and I typically use that as a little bit of a dig at beer makers, but I don't mean for it to be. I just mean that it's a very closely re- related uh, industries, not just because they're alcohol, but actually the creation of uh, and uh, manufacturing of. So super glad to have the experts in the room in here today. And we'll just start off a little bit on the business side. And and again, welcome Tyler. And, and I want to say, you know, I think it's first off when I got into the distilling business 12 years ago or 11 years ago, you guys opened your doors and let me just walk in and talk to you. And I appreciate that. Never got a chance to say it publicly, but thank you. But, but on top of that, you guys were the first uh, brewery distillery uh, in the state of Tennessee. And for a long time, we're the only one, correct? Yeah. So yeah, our, uh, our location in Nashville, well, we, we have three locations uh, back in Nashville, but our, our original one is uh, in the Marathon Motor Works building. And yeah, that location, we operate, you know, our distillery, but we, uh, we've always had a, uh, kind of a brewery tie-in as well we have a we have a tap room there for our you know for our local and tourists coming through town and there we feature you know a lot of local beer but as as well as some of our own stuff we brew that's fantastic Mm -hmm. i do remember the first time that i uh, went to corsair first off finding it there in the marathon building was just about impossible yeah, it's it's an old building. I usually say uh, it, it's only hard to find the first time, but uh, yeah, being an old building, that you know, we can't just put up big signs for everyone. So yeah, it takes a little effort to find us. That's exactly it, and we did, man. I think I walked the whole length of that, which is about two city blocks. So uh, <laughs> kind of like when I was trying to find a parking spot here this morning, Aaron. I, I kept driving <laughs> around. Well, there, there's ample parking here, but there's um, there's a lot of daytime businesses, law offices, yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah, it's pretty full from you know eight to five Monday through Friday. Yeah, no problem at all. So well, let's jump. Right 
run into it, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit, Kevin, if you would, Kevin and Aaron especially, talk a little bit about, you know, the um, water and, and the role it plays really. We'll start with beer, uh, just because, again, I say whiskey is what beer wants to be when it grows up. So tell us a little about the infancy there or the importance of beer or of water and beer. Yeah, so I started, um, uh, it sounds like I'm going to tell a long story, but I'll keep it short. Um, yeah, I started home brewing about 12 years ago um, with no intention of ever opening a brewery. I just, you know, really, really fell in love with it. Uh, got a homebrew kit for Christmas, you know, many years ago and just absolutely took to it like a fish to water. It's a, it definitely scratched the, the, the kind of the scientific mathy part of mm-hmm. my brain and also the really creative artistic side as well. And, um, anyway, so, uh, from the very beginning, I actually, you know, I had enough attention to detail to make some pretty good brews, but, um, I was, I remember I was, um, I, I did a thread or started a thread on homebrew talk. And I was just like, man, I, I, my IPAs, they're good, but they're just, they don't have the, they're just not singing the way I want them to. They don't have that pop and that punch that some of the best commercial IPAs have. And, um, and I was like, yeah, you know, what, 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 what hop varietals, you know, there are the things that I should try, um, yeast, all these other things. And one person responded and said, um, have you done anything with your water? Like, do you, and I was like, no, I like, I like filter it, make sure it doesn't have any chlorine in it, you know, but you know, and, and she was like, Youper still remember her, her, her name on there was like your next IPA put, um, half a teaspoon of gypsum in like, don't you just, just do that and see what happens. And man, the thing just, it just jumped out mm-hmm. of the glass, uh, the flavor, the aroma, everything. It was just so much brighter and punchier. And, uh, and I was like, holy hell, like what, you know, what, what, what is this, you know? And then, um, I got a water calculator. And I read all about it and I started in from every brew I've done from that day on. And this is years from opening uh, uh, away from opening a brewery. I did a water calculation. Uh, it made my dark beers richer and rounder and roastier and my IPAs jump and everything else like that. And I just I just became obsessed with it to the point where I now teach water chemistry at the Brewing and Distilling Center. So. It's fantastic. It's, it's interesting. It, it, that's a great point because I know, Kevin, we've talked before. You've talked about, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on good and bad water. I think that's a neat perspective you have as, as it relates to whether or not there is good or bad brewing water and what it really means, what it really, really means. Yeah, so um, good and bad brewing water. Well, I, I think that ultimately what, uh, you know, Aaron's talking about water chemistry and specific chemicals, you know, brewers really seem to understand more so than distillers um, the importance of the chemistry of the water and how it affects how nutrients and flavors ultimately are extracted from the grain. So, um, you know, one of the, if you look, though, at the distilled spirits industry, they don't need to, they haven't historically paid as much attention to the water chemistries around them. And it's partly because the industry has largely evolved in an area where there's this limestone hydrology and therefore the water chemistry is, is suitable already. It's ideal for, for fermentation, for conversion, and for um, uh, chemistry supportive yeast growth. Um, and so they've been largely able to ignore that. Um, but ultimately, I think the, as uh, you know, I, I spent 20 years at Jack Daniels, right? And so I, I, I really, I think they have a really high quality process, good process control. And a lot of that has to do with the sour mash process and pH balance. So pH in throughout your mashing, um, whether you're doing whiskey or beer, dramatically affects how um, active those, those chemicals are in the water. And so to me, I focused, I've largely focused mostly on pH balance and the processes, and that's how you get the best out of your water chemistry. 
Cool. It was something I remember you saying to me, though, that it wasn't just about good or bad water. It's about the style of beer you're making. And I think that goes to your point. That was the connection I was making there. If you, if you look at the, the history, um, and again, like I said, brewers tend to pay more attention to water chemistry. So um, one of the things that you have to realize with, with brewing is the, the product that you're producing, that you're mashing, you're converting, is, is going directly into the mouth of the consumer. So all that water chemistry has a much more profound and direct effect on the flavor of the of the product, whereas through uh, distillation, you go through the distillation step, and that sort of removes, or you know, you get that degree of separation as well. So, and then if you look at the history of the brewing industry and how styles uh, of beer have developed over time based on locations, and it largely has to do with the specific water chemistries of those regions. So, if you look at uh, a Czech Pils, for example, and and the very light mineral content of those the, of the waters in that area, and contrast that with, um, you know, say, um, um, Burton-upon-Trent, you know, the, the waters that feed um, Fuller's ESB, so a richer, darker beer that, that helps then extract those more robust flavors. Well, and so the, the, uh, the Burton-on-Trent, and um, just to make a little point on that, so it's, it's, it's mostly about residual alkalinity. So I'm uh, right. not trying to get too technical here, um, but residual al- alkalinity is, so it's, it's basically... Um, a measure of how resistant your water is to change in pH, right? So you're talking about the pH, whether you're making whiskey or whether you're making beer, you know, there's a certain pH range in between 5.1 and 5.3. Um, and it gets a little wider than that, um, where you're getting the most enzymatic activity, right? So that's what you want. You want enzymatic activity to convert those long chain starches into simple sugars. Why? Because sugar makes alcohol, right? Um, and uh, so dark grains, right, are more acidic and drive that pH lower. So you want like, when you have really high alkaline water, like uh, residual alkalinity, that's where you have um, Guinness, right? Guinness comes from Dublin, some of the highest residual alkalinity water on earth. And so they didn't have pH meters back then. They didn't have ways to determine what PPM of calcium and magnesium and, 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 sulf, uh, and sulfate and chloride and all that kind of stuff. All they knew is that this dark beer turns out really well and the light beers turn out terrible. Um, and the reason why is you're just not getting the conversion. Your pH is way too high and it's just... Kind of reinforcing yeah. my point about it's, yeah. you know, pH balance. And so, and it affects, yeah. pH then affects how those chemistries interact with the grains and so on. So we're, you know, we're, we're essentially saying the same thing from two different angles, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and to your point, like the, to me, there's very little, there's not really such a thing as like great brewing water or bad brewing right, water. Right. Um, it's just, it's, it there, can be very conducive to one style and not at all. To I'll another. make one important point about the, the, the good and bad water too. I, I've talked a lot about like traditional aspects of whiskey making and why whiskey is centered in, in Ken, uh, Kentucky and Tennessee because of the quality of the water. One of the things that's changed is we have all these industrial capabilities that are yeah. available to us now. <laughs> so, you know, you can go and produce whiskey almost anywhere. You can do DI water, RO water, clean it up and then build back that chemical how you want to. So that creates lots of opportunities um, for um, different styles to be made in different locations and, and water chemistry is important to pay attention to. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, you, yeah. Uh, you kinda t- both of you touched on a few things that kind of uh, kind of spoke to me uh, that I like about beers, you know, despite being in distilling for the past 10 years, my, you know, making beer is my, my first passion. I, uh, uh, similar to Aaron, I, I've been home brewing for probably mm-hmm. 15 years and I used to run a uh, brewing supply uh, website. We were, you know, shipping all over, all over the country. And, you know, when I was just starting to, starting to learn how to brew, you're, you know, I, I just enjoyed the, like you were saying, just that kind of mix of 
it's your creativity side, but also uh, the science, but on top of that, just the, the history involved in it all, where, um, you know, the, the regionally, you know, what, what was going on, where, yes, you know, uh, the more you kind of get into brewing, uh, looking at, all right, I want to make this traditional English pale ale. Well, this batch turned out pretty good. You know, what could I do next time? It's like, oh, well, maybe, you know, looking at those burden profiles, maybe I need a little more sulfate in this version, or, you know, oh, I really like doing Czech Pilsners, you know, maybe I need to you know, take a look at my water profile, cut it down with RO or just, you know, take a look and just kind of be mindful of those things. Yeah. Well, well you guys, you guys are three geeks. Um, I'll just tell you right now and that's great. I'm just kidding. I love it. I love hearing it, hearing and talk about it a little bit. Take me to, um, take me through a little bit. We're going to back up a little and take me through the, the history. Tell me about what, what do you guys first came, we'll start with you. What do you define as a craft brewery? I'd like to hear from, cause you know, we've opened ours obviously. Um, not quietly. Um, and you guys at Crafty Bastard have been around how long now? Um, uh, coming up on eight, eight years. Eight years? Okay, yeah. fantastic. And then you're, what, 10 years in, give or uh, take? Yeah, so, yeah, of course, there. We've been uh, open since uh, 2008. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me about what do you, what do you think? Each of you kind of give me your own opinion on what, you know, craft brewing is. Yeah, so um, we are um, serving beer at our Townsend facility. I, I need to say that just for about six, eight weeks now, and, and we're happy that uh, that we've we've made it to that point. I think Chris thought it was never going to happen, um, <laughs> but in terms of, of craft beer, I, I do have uh, extensive experience, especially on the whiskey side, defining what traditional processes are for people and and um, and helping them understand what is important to be called traditional. And of course, uh, that aligns with craft. It doesn't mean the same thing, but I think in the in the brewing industry. Um, you know, there's the Brewers Association, which defines uh, what a craft beer is. Um, it re- relates to size, um, independent, independent operation, um, use in, of traditional processes. Independently well. owned and under yeah. six million barrels a year. That's yeah. exactly what a craft brewery is. Continue. Yeah, yeah no, and, and, and I think there's a little skepticism around that that definition, right? Because six million barrels is a lot of barrels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I'll I'll kind of pass it on from there and, and and let you guys pick up from there because I think there's interesting discussion around that. Yeah. So what I was going to say and. and and obviously, uh, hopefully the listeners hints uh, since the uh, sarcasm in my tone um, about that. Yeah. So, I mean, it was pushed to six. It used to be two million barrels a year and it was pushed to six by the Brewers Association because of Boston Beer Company. Right. And just to put that in perspective um, for the listeners at home, and we, we've been open for eight years. We have a three barrel system downtown, a 15 barrel system at West running constantly. Um, we distribute. We can. Uh, we sell. Uh, do tons of events and things like that. And we do about. T- 2,500 barrels a year. So think about 6 million. That, that, is, <laughs> that, that is just, that's, that's a crazy number. To me, what craft really is, um, is it's more about the culture um, than it is the, I mean, the product is, is very important, obviously, um, but it's about the culture that surrounds the product. I, I, I feel like um, I, in a certain sense, and I don't want to take a dig at anybody, um, but there is a lot of people in Knoxville that have said before that, that we were the first craft brewery in town. There absolutely were some places in town. Absolutely. And again, not trying to take any digs at them at all, but, um, Smoky Mountain Brewery, downtown Grill and Brewery, places like that make really, really quality product and things like that. But you know, they're, they're restaurants first and foremost. Um, and they would tell you that they'd be the first thing they would tell you. I've talked to the people there. They take absolutely no offense to that being said. Um, I think when I really think of a craft brewery, I think of innovation, I think of new releases, I think of events, I think of it being a community center. Um, I, I think of those kinds of, of, of things. And mm-hmm. I, I, think it's, I think it's a craft product and a craft culture. Yeah, that's good. 
Much yeah. you, Mr. Corsair. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I just, I think Kevin and, and Aaron nailed it. But, you know, I, I think on top of that, just, um, you know, something that's just local. You know, you we're sitting right here. You know, it's made back in the corner. It's 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 on tap right here. You know, the person who made it's in the in the room. You know, I think I think just you know, something local as well as, uh, you know, just something made with, you know, innovation and passion, you know, in mind. Yeah, I'd to broaden out the definition just a little bit, if I could, mm-hmm. there is this great book by Pete Brown called Craft and Argument, and it really speaks specifically to the brewing industry. Um, but he, he kind of breaks down all these arguments about what craft is, looking at the operating definitions. So size is, is the, the primary one that people go on. And so he, he rejects that notion um, that size really matters. And then he goes on and he talks about things like what's in the heart of the brewer, for example, and how do you know what that means? I think ultimately that kind of gets to this idea of, of uh, a good brewer um, protecting and, and developing the quality uh, of the beer and the, and their art, right? And so I think that's important as well. Um, but ultimately, in rejecting all these notions about what craft is, we get pet back to this traditional aspects of process. So it's important yeah. to know yeah. what those processes are, to practice them properly. So, uh, you know, I, I'm a big advocate of, the, like in the whiskey industry, of the continued use of, of uh, malted barley and the diastase of malt rather than commercial enzymes, you know, because it, it really has a direct impact on how um, the, the flavor of the distillate that comes from that. So ultimately, process is hugely important to me yeah. in the definition. Yeah, and but I it's often to, uh, neglected. There's neglected. one real quick thing I was going to say. <laughs> and like, so when you, when you said art in there too and, and process that, to me there's three levels, right? There is, and I'm not saying they're higher or, or, or different. There is, there's a manufacturer, there's a craftsman, and there's an artist. Um, and a manufacturer is not craft. You are making the same thing over and over. It's, we need lots of manufacturers of lots of different things. And I have nothing against a macro brews, but that's manufacturing. There's, you know, there's crafting, right? Being craftsman. And there's very few artists. Um, when you're talking about like the world of, 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 of spirits and, and by that, I mean, wine and beer and everything else, you know, there's, yeah, there's lots of craftsmen. There's very few artists. And that's, that's, that's kind of my kind of, hierarchy, if you will. The definition... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, the definition of art versus science is an interesting discussion, too, because yeah. we, I say um, science is what we know, and art is, uh, jokingly, I'll say it's those things we haven't quite figured out yet. But if you look at expertise and the art of a process, maybe it's these things that we haven't actually defined scientifically, but we have to recognize that there is a lot of, of value in the art of that the, those people who have been practicing. That's the way things used to operate before we knew what the science was, and so now we can move more towards the science, but we still still have to understand and respect the art of the process, as you're saying. I agree. Yeah. yeah, and I hear you guys saying this stuff, and I agree with you. I think bringing it back to me was years ago getting into it. Knew I wasn't a, brewer, a beer guy uh, at all. But uh, for me, the, the craft definition, the fact, you know, if you've got to put a volume on it, you mentioned, you know, tongue-in-cheek, the 6 million barrels, et cetera. You know, you, you go putting a, a, a volume on it, and I think that immediately takes it, you know, you're, you're limiting and the idea in my mind is craft is that you, it's limitless. You know, whether that is the creation of, the production of, the distribution of. So I had a friend uh, in the first story that we that I was a part of and founded. Um, I remember his name is Bob Benson. He's a, he's a big guy, a uh, big crafts guy. He, he uh, does blacksmithing and all this jazz. And, and we were in a meeting and somebody said something about craft was just a word. And... Um, afterwards is talking to Bob and he's like, you know, that's, that's not the case. Craft is, is not just a word or an adjective. There's, there is, there's, 
Um, you know, there's an artisan feel to it. There's there's passion to it. Um, there's your own opinion of what it is good as well. So when we get into defining craft by volume or you know, even even machine size or you know equipment size, I think that's where we start diminishing what what craft is. So. Yeah, you're uh, trying to put some objective, you know, quantitative, you know, bullet points on things that are a little more subjective. And yeah, you know, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and I get like you were talking about manufacturing. I mean, um, we're all manufacturers. Yeah, because we exactly. want to be called that because there's tax benefit. You know, there's all these other things that get involved, but the root of it is just what you said. It's it's uh, you being Aaron. Sorry, no, people can't see what I'm. I'm yeah, referring yeah, yeah. to that's the thing is that you know keeping it real so to speak yeah with, exactly with the and that's why when i was talking about that kind of three tiers of thing i you yeah. know I, I hated to use the, the phrase hierarchy because it's really not i mean right. it, to me really what what a, what a crafts person is right is somebody who is a manufacturing artist yeah right i mean you, it's you, a synergy you, yes yeah, you're, you're doing both of those things right um and whereas like a manufacturer wants to make the exact same thing exactly the same way forever and ever an artist a true artist never wants to make the same thing twice yeah. Right. And you take a little bit of that together and that's what craft is. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Uh, let's talk a little, let's jump around. Uh, we're going to jump all over the place here. We've talked science and we, we got into the opinions and of craft. Let's go a little bit back to the, just the history and the role of water and fermentation. Uh, let's start on the brewing side and, and then really Tyler and, and Kevin talk about, you know, start on the brewing side there and then go into how that, the you know the things that are alike between distilling and brewing together i think would be good so aaron if you take a little bit up there on the history of and the role of water and fermentation and brewing and the importance that'd be great yeah know. i mean i mean uh, whiskey is just distilled beer i mean that's <laughs> that's yeah. basically what it's i mean so like yeah the same thing is every drop of alcohol anybody has ever consumed in their life is the process of yeast metabolizing simple sugars right Anyway, um, yeast metabolizing simple sugars and um, to get those simple sugars, you know, whiskey makers and beer makers have the same challenge, right? Winemakers are given their sugar. Mead makers, cider makers, if you're making from fruit, you are already given simple sugar. I'm not denigrating those processes. I love wine and and all that kind of stuff. But um, yes, they're given their sugar. We are not. Um, And so we have to use enzymatic, enzymatic activity to take long chain starches and 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 long chain sugars and convert them into simple sugar for the process of fermentation and that is that this is the main thing that whiskey and beer have in common we are not given our sugar we have to create it what do you guys think what are you guys thinking there like why did you think it was a good idea kevin for us to do and this is great i really want to hear this especially <laughs> why do you think it was important for us to do the brewery and distillery well, there are definitely some synergies. Um, if you come visit our distillery, um, we have some, every, every facility has specific challenges, you know, so we have the wastewater side that we have to consider, the fact that we're on a septic system. So having a, a proper brewing system allowed us to separate the grains up front as a brewing system does in an extractive process, uh, preventing those grain solids from going down the drain or having to deal with them in a more difficult way. Um, but also for our pot still, um, having that ex- extractive uh, beer and distillation allows for a much lighter, more delicate um, product to be produced in with that equipment. You know, it's, it's very difficult to take an all grain mash through a pot still, which boils for hours and you have a lot of these um, breakdown components that, that can lead to off flavors in, in distillation. So that was really the, the decision there. Decision there. But, yeah. Tyler, I want to, I'm going to throw a little curveball for you because 
I feel like you and, and the other leadership at Corsair, I feel like, and please tell me if I'm wrong, that you were pushing more of the limits of the legal area when you got the brewery and the distillery. And plus your location mm-hmm. was part of that. If you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, some of it's just kind of in line with our brand and some of it's kind of just bad of circumstance, kind of like you're saying. Um, you know, one, when we started in 2008, you know, the uh, the craft beer uh you know, craft breweries were, were definitely on the rise, and but the you know craft spirits wasn't wasn't huge yet. You know, there wasn't a lot of distilleries uh, in the state, and you know most of our you know our owner Derek, his uh, co-founder Andrew, they were you know kind of kind of like me, came from more of a homebrew background, where they like to try different things and just experiment and do something different. You know, as as our brand, you know, we're like, well, we're right in the middle of Tennessee. Like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us just to start pumping out bourbon and Tennessee whiskey. There's plenty of people in, in you know uh, <laughs> north of us and south of us that, that got that covered. So let's let's try to do something different. Yeah. And uh, that's you know that's that's kind of just fueled our brand. You know, if up till now, just trying to do something different. But excuse me. But on the um, on the brewing side, yeah, you know our Marathon Village location that was the original Yazoo Brewery in Nashville, the first brewery in uh, in Nashville. So when when they moved out in 2010, we moved in and we had a little tap room there and that that they had operated so we just kind of had this little built-in side business so we just kept it going and like i said it, it worked well with our brand and you know it was good uh it was good income so you know we yeah. kept we kept it going but you know we kind of developed that where it was like well we should, you know hey we're selling other people's beers let's uh let's start making some of our own because you know back then the um Oh, what was it? The, uh, the definition of beer, or excuse me, yeah, it was up to, was it up to 10% at the time? In Tennessee yeah, at the time, yeah, it was, it was up to 5% yeah, by weight, 5% six, by weight, 6.2 6. 2 yeah, by volume, yeah. 6.2, so <laughs> we, we, you know, uh, most of the breweries had to get a distillery license if they wanted to make, uh, wanted to make high, high-grab beers. Well, we already had that, so we were in the opposite position. We could only make high-grab beers, so, you know, all of our beers were, you know, 6-ish, you know, percent and, and up. So, um, yeah, and, you know, we worked with a lot of breweries in the area. They like using our barrels for finishing. So, you know, we're like, well, we can kind of do some of our own stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's just kind of how it came out of. And, you know, as Nashville's grown, you know, where we started as, you know, a little, a small location for, you know, for locals. And, you know, now it's, you know, it's a big tourist destination. So it's nice to offer, hey, come on in to take a tour, do a tasting. We have beer and cocktails and, sp- and spirits. So just having a variety to offer our customers is, uh, you know, it's nice. Yeah, I'd say so. Mm-hmm. You know, all three locations, uh, company distilling as well as, as Crafty Bastard and Corsair, that it's all, it is all about gathering around and getting together and, and you talking about that you're having your first concert of the season tonight at your West location. You know, that... Travis Bigwin and the Beatles Experience. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> the caveat there. Uh, the uh, the thing is, is that, you know, it, it is it is about bringing people together. And I think that's something that it's interesting. And, you know, t- uh, Tyler and I have worked a lot on the legislative side with the distilling industry for several years. And it's interesting because it, it seemed like every time we did meet a legislator, even if they... And we even had some that were going to vote against us. Uh, they were happy as hell to to meet Jeff or to meet us or to talk to us or hear about our business, you know? Uh, and so I think that's just not, not, not vote for us. That's right. Well, and yeah, that's exactly. And sometimes they told us that, but, but I think that's important. So, you know, we talked a lot in the previous episodes about sense of place uh, and how important that is for a whiskey. Uh, and, and Jeff talks very eloquently about that as well. What do you guys feel like, you know, the culture, you know, the cultural, geographical and historical confluence, you know, that established whiskey in Tennessee and Kentucky, where do you think that really 
do you think that applies to breweries as well or or is it just um, you know how do you feel about that i mean it's it's heavy you think about jack daniels it's lynchburg it creates an entire culture of black and white um you think about you know any anything any kentucky to start i mean that's all they have in kentucky is distilleries they don't really have anything else up there worth anything so you know uh so what do you guys think about that i mean do you feel you have the same influences you know with with brewing industry or what's your feelings I would almost say that brewing is a little bit more universal. It's not so uh, uh, regional or geographically specific. Um, I think there's there, obviously there's some great synergies. Um, you know, we talk about um, the, uh, the breweries becoming distilleries and distilleries becoming breweries, and there's different iterations of that. Um, and I think that uh, with the many distilleries in Kentucky and Tennessee, that there's some opportunities. They're going to take a different approach to it for for sure. Um, you know, so there's there's some been some activity in the the single malt space right american single malt yeah um, sure. and i think that um you know sometimes breweries are a little bit better suited to to pursue that because of um you know that's if you look at like scotch whiskeys for example they're those are extractive louder sort of processes um when i was at jack daniels we made an american single malt there that was a grain in it's a very very different product very different yeah. experience and um so you know it'd be interesting to see how that plays out especially within the context of the american single malt yeah so i would love to talk about that re- re- really quickly and i'm sure tyler has much more to say than I do, but um, yeah, we, we've worked very closely with the uh, postmodern spirits um, right down the road from us here. They do some really good stuff. And yeah, I kind of had this idea and I'm sure I'm far from the first, you know, to have it. But I was like, man, you know, like, and, and, you know, we're talking about sour mash whiskey. We're talking about what you, you know, what it turns into bourbon or Tennessee whiskey is not a beard that anyone would terribly want to drink. I mean, it's 70% corn. It's the, the, the hot fermentation, all this other kind of stuff. And so I was like, well, okay, let, let's actually make like a really, really good beer and then distill that, right? And it should be ready quicker and let's age it in small barrels and stuff. And so it worked very, very closely with, with, with Ron at uh, the head distiller down there. We worked, I mean, he actually got 30 different beers and distilled them in his little two liter still and aged them on like little pieces, you know, and we had a silent, you know, didn't say a damn word to each other and tasted these 30 whiskeys and like... I, I, I think it was my first and his second or something, you know, out of all of these that we decided on, like, that's the beer that's going to make, and that's still on the shelves today. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of really interesting intersection between the craft brewing and craft distilling worlds. And I'm sure Tyler has done all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even our, uh, yeah, our, our distillery at Marathon, you know, it's, uh, I mean, the core of it's a, it's a brew house, you know, we, we make all, we make single malt there. So yeah, it's a, it's a standard mash ton, louder, you know, product. Uh, so yeah, the, the core of it's, you know, really the same, but you know, when we were first getting going, we were, you know, we were making a lot of what would be probably more uh, standard, you know, more beer recipes. We're like, well, let's make this, you know, you know, Doppelbox, some lager. Let's do that. Let's distill that. What's that do? Like, you know, and just try Like yeah. early on, we were doing lots of uh, hop whiskeys. They're uh, kind of a polarizing, uh, polarizing product. But, you know, you, we'd get a lot of, uh, you know, get a lot of beer nerds in. It's like, oh, here you got a citra whiskey. I got to try this. And, you know, they get real excited and, and like it. And then you get somebody, uh, uh, you know, probably used to drinking Jack Daniels. They were, they were not the, not the biggest fan. It didn't quite, uh, <laughs> not, not the same thing, but yeah, yeah. Just seeing what worked, like what trans, some things translated well, some things didn't. So it was just the process of figuring out, you know, figuring that out. So your hopped whiskeys, were they kind of like dry hopped, so to speak, or was it like an IPA that we, was then distilled? We tried that too. The, 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 the easiest way to do it <clears throat> was, uh, we'd, uh, we'd put the, we'd just do a single malt base 
and we'd, uh, we'd do a uh, just a first pass uh, distillation, just a stripping distillation. So and then we'd take those low wines, uh, put them in the still, and we'd run the hops through our vapor basket, kind of like the same way oh, we make like our gin. gin. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more efficient. Because if know. you just distill an IPA, it's terrible. It's too I, bitter. I agree. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I was going to say, you can I, take I the, most, the most beautiful beers and, and hope that they're going to make great whiskeys, but you have to go through distillation, and, and you don't know what's going <laughs> to come through there. Um, and then you don't know the effects of maturation that can dramatically change. They can take the most beautiful distillate and, and, and change it in ways you may or may not like. Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've, we've talked a little water. We've talked a lot of science. Uh, this has been great. I, I want to talk something that's inter- that interests me, and I'm throwing this in there, is the barrier of entry. I've always been a little jealous of breweries because it feels like you can just pop one up wherever the hell you want to. Whereas a distillery, i got to jump through hoops for about six to nine months. And then after you've jumped through those many hoops, then you maybe can start up. So talk to me a little bit, especially I'd like to hear from you, Aaron. Uh, you know, when you started, um, you know, your brewery here, tell me about how did you feel from the barrier of entry? Like, was it easy? What were some of the hurdles? Uh, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. Yeah, we just popped it up. And his, <laughs> ha, 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 sorry. Uh, smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. Yeah, no, no. Um, no, I, I mean, promise for, that it's not as hard <laughs> legally because I know. So don't hand me that oh, crap. I know, I know. I know the. <laughs> Stop. Uh, the, uh, the, and even after you're open, the, the formula approvals yeah. and the colas and all the kind of stuff that we don't have to do. I mean, if we're yeah. sending it out. But I mean, you know, yeah, to every, we've released 800 new beers in eight years. And yet we've not had to get. <laughs> a formula approval for a single one of them because you don't have to do that with beer, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I couldn't even imagine that with especially all the kind of stuff that, that Tyler's releasing um, and having to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, th- there's lots of challenges as well. Um, the one thing I, I would like to, to say, that there's one and only one way I can think of that is more difficult to open a brewery. And that is in uh, most municipalities in, in Tennessee. Fortunately, Knoxville does not. I've got a very brief story about that. Um, they have like a church distance requirement. Um, Knoxville's used to be 300 feet. In some small towns, it can be as much as, as, as 2,000 feet. Um, and that's door line to door line. That does not exist um, for, um, for distilleries. Um, that's not accurate, just so you know. <laughs> that's nowhere near accurate. <laughs> we actually, um, that came into play in 16 or 17. Basically, what we did is we wanted parity. And uh, the difference that there is, let me, let me say two things. Number one, the distance. Whatever your distance is, our distance is. So the way the TCA is written is we, if we're going to do a distillery and there's a distance gap, if there's any sort of on record, if you will, then yes, it, it matches the beer for the sale of beer. If, Interesting. Okay. Yes. So I wonder and so, if- and then on top of that, though, one of the things um, <clears throat> that is different is that you are subject to municipality approval, whereas we are not. We are we are totally TCA based. So the yeah, law. for sure. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. is a difference. But from a distance, we have distance as well. Yeah. So, so so my understanding of that was like, I mean, a distillery is from the state. Like the the municip- municipality has has no say so in that. Um, whereas like your beer license comes from your municipality, 100%. right? So so that was my understanding is like the state doesn't care about the church, so you can get that. That's waiver. not. That's where I'm saying that there's a difference. The state uh, okay. does what the what the code says is that if there are those requirements in place, if the municipality does have a distance requirement. Ours can't be any farther away than your than a brewery. Interesting, is what it is. So what we had in uh, so this very interesting story. So we opened in 2015, very end of 2015, and then in 20, uh, 2016, we had we were a distillery, as as as, as Tyler yeah. mentioned. So we were a distillery one because we wanted to do beer above six two, and at the time Knoxville had a three hundred foot church requirement. There is a Lutheran church that if you measure through the buildings to the 
fellowship hall mm-hmm. is 291 feet. Um, they're also Lutherans and they like, so we talked to them and they're like, yeah, uh, the, the only thing we ask is that you open at noon on Sunday so we can come over and drink after church. <laughs> after church. Um, and so like, so they were in, but the city was like, nope, we don't care. Like once we start doing this stuff, if it's under 300 feet, you can't do it. But the Knoxville requirement at that time uh, said that if you had a distillery license, if you had a, a had either a liquor by the drink license, a distillery, some license that came from the state, then that it superseded um, yeah. the church requirement. And so we were, we were a, we were a distillery for our first year open yeah. because of that. So, yeah. And, and it probably was 16 or 17 when we, that came about, we really got legislatively active. Uh, we listened in 13, listened in 14. And I believe we started running our first stuff in 15, but so, it was simple stuff. I was just curious. So when you were operating under that distillery, were you only making six tube and over? Uh, no, we okay. were, cause yeah. what they said, so we had a mm. brewery and a distillery yeah. license. And so we, 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 but they only let you because you had the correct. Yeah, yes, yeah. And then they got, yeah, very, very, very quick tidbit. Um, I know we're, uh, no, you're good. Yeah. Probably gonna try and wrap up here in a, in a minute, but there was, uh, so it's really, really interesting that I, I kept saying used to mm-hmm. that 300 foot church requirement is gone mm-hmm. and it does not exist in Knoxville anymore. Um, I spoke five times before the city council, um, and they finally voted to overturn it. And uh, who actually spoke the most passionately about it was not me. Uh, there was a local pastor there who was also heavily against it as well. The reason why is because lots of churches are also locating in, in non-traditional places. People don't have the money to go buy a church on a hill and have a fancy graveyard and all this kind of stuff. Um, so churches are like starting to locate in strip malls and shopping centers and stuff. Yeah. And so what was happening is the owners of shopping centers were like, no, we, we are absolutely not renting to a church ever. Yeah. Because if I rent to you, then, then I'm going to no, restrict it here. Yeah. Yes, I'm restricted. Then no, and not, not only a brewery, a, 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 a pizza place, a, a, yeah. a Mexican restaurant, any place that ever wants to sell beer can never locate here ever again. Yeah. So go away. So I think it's interesting. You said that the person that helped you, um, you know, was a pastor. Um, Kevin, I'd like for you to talk about your first brewery, uh, brewery yeah. experience or brewery location, I think would be a good tie into it. To right. what so, so prior about. to moving to, uh, to Townsend, um, <laughs> located in Tullahoma, um, I went to Trinity Lutheran Church. So as you say, Lutherans were a little more amenable. Yeah. Um, we actually had a, a small half barrel um, brewing system in our church kitchen um, and used that uh, and the proceeds from that to, to support um, a, a, um, a daycare center that served underprivileged kids. Kids, uh, the one homeless shelter that was on our property, three three city area, um, and uh, and the youth group too. So we we, we put it to good use. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty we good. Made we a little some... Luther Lager. It was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty cool that you had somebody you know speaking up for you, and then Kevin yeah. was brewing in the basement. I know it wasn't the basement. I but... need, need to give a shout out to Pastor Alex for helping make all that happen too. <laughs> there you go. I like it. I love it. Well, guys, I tell you what, uh, I, this has been a good conversation. We could definitely go deeper in, in, in some of these science conversations. And I, and I encourage all everybody listening to this to please, you know, come check out Crafty Bastard, whether it's the downtown location or the West Knoxville location. Definitely when you're in uh, Nashville, mid-Nashville area, after you leave um, company distilling there in Thompson Station. Drive north. Drive north and hit the multiple locations for Corsair. Uh, Marathon has completely changed. Renovation, mm-hmm. what, three years ago? Yeah, a couple years, years back, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, I remember your first, uh, you're talking about your little tap room. Mm-hmm. It was about the size of the length of this table, which is maybe seven feet, six, seven accurate. feet. Yeah, that's and, accurate. Uh, now it's gorgeous <laughs> and beautiful inside. Yeah. Um, Houston Wedgwood's very pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so fantastic place yeah, to come out, come out what do you got us. going on tell me what's coming up with you with Corsair anything you want to talk about and uh, let people know about yeah as far as Corsair goes we've been uh, just uh, staying busy making whiskey uh, we, we built a new production facility uh, just a little bit outside of town in Ashland City uh, and that location is you know as we're we're known for single malts gins you know uh, products like that this location is you know it's, it's a completely different animal we, we got a 24 inch column and we're doing a lot of uh, bourbon rye Tennessee whiskey and uh, yeah just doing a, doing a lot of production out there that's fantastic Aaron what do you guys got going on I know your second location how long have you been open in second location Couple uh, years? two years yeah, two yeah, years? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. well coming up on two years yeah, yeah. and yeah just want to say like I've, I've been to several of the Corsair uh, locations and really really have enjoyed so many of the products I've had there um, but yeah uh, so we've actually uh, we're actually uh, man it, it just hit the Knoxville New Sentinel a couple weeks ago we are we are opening a third location um, in South Knoxville, it's uh, Baker Creek. It's going to be a, a tap room. Um, we've we, our, our west location is, is makes all the beer we'll ever need. Um, but yeah, it's actually in a. Uh, there's a restaurant that's already open there. Uh, bike shop going to be opening in uh, I think a few weeks. Uh, yoga studio, um, coffee and tea apothecary, and then Crafty Bastard uh, Tap Room. Um, it's right at the epicenter of 60 miles of mountain biking trails. Um, and it's just, uh, just going to be a really, really awesome spot. Um, yeah, we also have, um, at our West location, um, we actually have wine and whiskey now. Um, and we are actually going to, speaking of a, a little, uh, kind of maybe, I, I guess perhaps a little bit more rare of a hybrid. Uh, I am a huge enophile. I love, uh, making wine. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we are actually going to be launching our own wine, um, in about six weeks, um, starting at the West location only, uh, because of the licensing and then hopefully downtown eventually. Um, have some really, really good stuff. Uh, so yeah, really, really excited about all of that. That's fantastic. Over there at Baker Creek. Are you going in the old, uh, Severe Heights location? Yep. yep yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's where I grew up, uh, two blocks from there over on Hackman street. So I'm familiar okay. <laughs> the old Sono taco, uh, or not the old Sono taco, the Sono taco is an old TV repair place. Yeah. Um, can tell you some offline sure stories. Yeah. I'm sure you've eaten at the roundup restaurant and I stopped eating there. I will tell you this when it got busted we were sitting <laughs> yeah, on yeah, Sono yeah, tacos <laughs> patio and we we're kind of reminiscing about the old neighborhood and sitting on Sono's taco, eating some lunch. And next thing you know, it was seriously, it was 25 TBI, <laughs> they raided the roundup for this scandal. I'll let you look it up. And we just yeah. sat there. It was nothing to us because it's South Knoxville. So we were like, yeah, this is cool. We'll watch this. And they did. They came out with guns drawn and go in this, you know, decades old uh, roundup restaurant. But I didn't eat there very often. I got ice cream. It's about the only thing I ever did the roundup. I was yeah, more of a yeah. handy dandy guy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The, the steam sandwiches. The steam sandwiches. Yes yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, but that project, when it went first up to be, because um, the first brewery, I can't remember who was going to put it in there. But it was going in the old Family Life Center uh, is where it was going and um, yeah. all that jazz. So. Yeah. So it's, it's a really cool development. And like, yeah, if anybody listening, um, I don't know when this is, is going to air, but, uh, you know, as of April 28th, the, the restaurant is open. Fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, definitely check it out. And you can you can see where there's a there's a sign up where we're going in. So. Sounds great. Well, I appreciate everybody's time and everything else. Listen, uh, everybody, please enjoy the this episode. Go back and check our other ones out. We'll come back to you. Episode six uh, will be coming up in another month or so and look forward to chatting on that. Um, and again, thanks so much for joining us, guys. I hope you all have safe trips home and everybody else have a great weekend. Thanks. Cheers, all. Yeah, thanks. Thanks.